Hi, everybody. It's Jamie Duvall, host of Movie Geeks United. Join me on Monday, June 25th, for a special 35th anniversary screening of the classic War Games. After the screening, you can take part in a taping of our podcast. I'll help in answering any questions you might have about the film, and there might be a surprise or two thrown in for good measure. It's all happening at Safe House, an iconic spy themed restaurant and night spot deep in the heart of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information on the event, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegeeksunited. And to learn more about Safe House's Milwaukee or Chicago locations, visit safe-house.com. Plan your mission at Chicago's number one espionage experience, the Safe House Restaurant. Conveniently located in the heart of downtown Chicago, you will discover what it means to eat, drink, and party like a spy. Find the red door and enter a world of mystery for a delicious and top-secret experience you will never forget. Try Chicago's number one voted burger for lunch. Maybe your dossier contains a need for happy hour drinks or late-night rock is fun. Secret agent and spy approved. Make Safe House your place of refuge. Visit their website, safehousechicago.com, for more intel or to make your reservations now. Welcome. To Jurassic Park. United, this week we will be discussing the summer movie season of 1993. What will we do? What will we all do? Where were we in the world at this time? What were you doing, Jamie, in the summer of 93? Uh, 93. I was uh, I was managing a movie theater. Glorious period of my life. <laughs> How about you, Aaron? <laughs> I was about to be a freshman in high school. Just finished the uh, eighth grade. I was about to be a freshman, so this is like a peak, you know, movie obsessive period. So I was about I was fourteen going on fifteen. Hey, I would imagine you were a pretty good student too. Yeah, I was pretty good. So yeah. This is like peak. This is peak. My pre- peak Premier Magazine Entertainment Weekly reading. Oh sure. How about how about how about you, uh, um, Adam? Ah, oh, I. Got my degree in broadcasting that summer, and I was trying to get my foot in the door desperately to any media company that would have me. And uh, we're not having much luck and working in a crummy factory job in the interim and, and doing some mobile DJ work on the weekends to supplement my income. So that's where I was at. Mm. Hey, so th- basically not many things have changed. <laughs> uh, well, some of it like has. Some, you've, had your, you've had your children, obviously. Uh, I would just say the caveat, summer 93, was a good year for uh, being a DJ. Good music that year. So, oh, good okay. summer. Tis oh, yeah, true. that's true. Tis that's true. true. 
That was that was a good music here. I was I was in Atlanta, had just returned from uh New York City, uh and uh had uh started my life of partying, uh which is something that I had not done throughout high school. I was a very straight arrow student, you know, and um I took up in this sort of uh bohemian type type of lifestyle and uh Lots of lots of uh, music playing and and plenty of drug taking and so forth and uh, working working at the uh, Plaza Theater uh, uh, for the she next two years. You waited until you got out of New York City to start partying. That's yeah, <laughs> I did. I did actually. <laughs> I may may have done a little bit of it up there, but uh, generally I came back down and I said, uh, you know what? I've gone through my entire life like not knowing a social life really, so I'm going to start partying, and that's what I did. So I started living in this huge uh, warehouse space with, uh, you know, 10 different roommates, and it was fun. Okay, we begin with May 7th, the first week of May. The releases were, uh, we'll take them one by one. Uh, Summer seemed to get off to a good start because we have uh, a, a nice little Live and Reitman movie uh, called Dave. Kevin oh, Klein that was a good movie. The president. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. Oscar nominated for its screenplay. Dave, it's very, uh, uh, 25 years later, it seems very uh, uh, innocent. And uh-huh. uh, I would say it's a good movie. Uh, it's, it was really good back then. Has Obviously, everyone talked about the one truly great scene where they, they cut the budget. Uh, I would oh, yeah. say that I would say two years later it would get supplanted as uh, by the American president as the best kind of uh, pol- you know light political like, rom com yeah of the nineties. Yeah. But yeah. Dave is Dave is good. It's a it's an ideal Kevin Klein. It's like kind of the ideal Kevin Klein performance. Mm-hmm. I guess the well, thing it, it has a, it has a scene in it. It has a scene in it that I love. Which is um, he's before when he's approached by the Secret Service to to double for the president, and they're in his home, and he doesn't know it, and he's riding his bike home, and he's singing Oklahoma, and and almost the entire song, and he gets it to his house and it's crescendos, and he's singing like no one is there, so there's no self consciousness to it, <laughs> just like blasting it out. And he turns around and there's a Secret Service guy, just comedically. And it feels so true because he's a guy that feels like he's he's all alone, like he's letting it all loose. You know, there's no inhibitions. And I, I always loved that scene. Mm-hmm. It's an early precursor. Uh, it would be a year later before we finally remembered his name, but we get an early, great, light comic performance by uh, Ving Raines. First Lady and the President. What is that? I mean, how, how long has that been going on? I can't say. You mean you don't know, or you can't say? I can't say. Ah, can't say So uh, your job is to protect the president all the time. That's that's your whole job, right? Yes. You have a gun? Yes. Ever use it? Not yet. Yeah. Is this post-politician? Okay. 
no, no, no. the year before. Oh, yeah, it's the year before. Yeah, That's before. right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's hard to go do comedy after you've been sodomized wearing a ball gag. <laughs> <laughs> that creates True. a bit of a problem. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay, next up was Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. This was Rob Cohen, right? Uh, yeah. 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 Well, uh, Lauren Holly was his that... wife in it. Yeah. It's not <laughs> – What? It's not a, you... I mean, it's not a very – it's not a bad movie. It, it has a very uh, early 90s – biopic vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It was sanctioned by the family. Um, so it's not a bad movie. Uh, what carries it is Jason Scott Lee's great performance as Bruce Lee. He's really good at Bruce Lee. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of carries it through the the kind of biopic tropes that it goes through. It's like uh, it's just a bland color scheme, bland all around, uh, yeah, I don't remember. But I've never really been interested in the story of Bruce Lee, just in general, or or in in Bruce Lee in movies in general. So it, it does a good job. The best scenes are the recreations of the uh, of, of the, the movies. From his, yeah, uh, those are the best scenes, and um, it doesn't. And I, I remember a lot of people complain at the time that it doesn't get into the conspiracies around his death. Right. Uh, the, the widow didn't want that. And I actually thought that was a good thing because I, I think those are kind of silly, though, the conspiracies. They are. Uh, and so that, I thought, was actually kind of refreshing. Yeah. And so it has it has the Rob Cohen vibe. I mean, as we all know, Rob – and I will say Rob Cohen's best film. I mean, he has a very TV aesthetic to him. Yeah. Uh, his, best, his best film, though, is uh, – the HBO film The Rat Pack, which you do it five years later. That's okay. still his best film. Yeah, that was good. That was that was you know entertaining for a TV movie, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, they had a good cast. Yeah, I do remember the. Uh, I was more interested in Dragon in the for the early scenes than for the later ones. So you right. know, like the things, the things. Uh, didn't they recreate uh, his uh, Madigan or whatever the thing where he yeah. uh, breaks well, apart James Garner's. Yeah, they they recreate that scene, so that's kind of fun. All the Holly, like kind of the the Hollywood the stuff on Hollywood sets is always like, and those in these kinds of movies are always like the best scenes in the movies. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And sure. there was a scene, if you remember, they cut out of the movie right before it came out because that's when Brandon Lee died the month before it was released, and so there was a scene in the original cut of the film. Mm-hmm. Where his son, he dreams that his son is being chased by demons or something like that. There's a dream sequence involving his son being chased, mm. and they trimmed that right because it was yeah. It happened I, re- right I remember, at that I remember, I remember that scene. And yeah, I, and I was thinking there was that, a lot that was of, in the final final cut. Yeah. There was a lot of final stuff cut. cut. 1993, believe it, weirdly had a lot of movies being trimmed for uh, you know. Uh, Awkwardness. I mean, between uh, between Bruce Lee and then remember in the fall they uh, they took out the scene from the program, the football movie. Yes. That whole year they cut out every single movie that Chris Hardwick appeared in. It was tragic, really. <laughs> oh yeah. They, uh, in the firm, in the firm, they cut out the scene where Tom Cruise realized it's a cult, not a law firm. Um, that was another scene they cut out. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, so May seventh, last last movie out that day was Much Ado About Nothing, which was the Kenneth Branagh Shakespearean adaptation. With uh, the big headline was with uh, Denzel. 
great movie, great, uh, yeah. great adaptation. Light. I mean, Much Ado About Nothing is really kind of the the original light rom com template, modern rom com template. Uh, and it's breezy, it's fast paced. Denzel's fun in the casting. He really it, it doesn't. You know, it's one of those deals you just you automatically accept. The real standout of that cast is uh, Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really a standout, and then you know this was when Brenna and Emma Thompson were still together. And this was their follow-up to um, the Great Dead Again from two summers earlier, and uh, they just banter back and forth like they're in a Howard Hawks film, although it's Shakespeare, and it's great. I I like I, I prefer this. I think this is the best version of Do About Nothing. I prefer it to the. Uh, to the Josh Wheaton from a couple of years ago, which I did like, but this is still the best. Yeah, I had a lot of fun at that at uh, at that Branagh movie for sure. I think and it's one of his best. Major, and a major art house hit. I remember, I know it's down here in San Antonio. That thing played at our art house. I want to say almost throughout the whole summer. I remember that film didn't leave, and like Water for Chocolate didn't leave the whole summer. But there were like two films that were. Taking up, always taking up a screen at our art house. Mm, mm. Nice. Yeah. All right, let's go on to May 14th. Uh, I'll skip the ones that uh, I know that we've never seen or heard of. Well, uh, can we hear the titles? Can we just hear the titles? Just sure. Out of Excessive Force. Okay. Moving right. on. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like a big uh, there's like a billion movies titled that. So okay, yeah. But, all right. Uh, and then, then then we have Lost in Yonkers. Lost uh, in Yonkers. That's mm. part of that whole Neil Simon uh, thing, right? But, uh, yeah. I mean, the backstory of this is more interesting than. I mean, the film's not bad. Uh, I'm a big Martha Coolidge fan. Uh, what's interesting about this film is that. Um, Richard Dreyfuss has kind of the, the showcase role that Kevin Spacey won a Tony for on Broadway. Yeah, that's what I, I was thinking that Spacey was in it. He was in a, one no, of those no. early. He was in a, one of those early Neil Simon things, wasn't he? Probably. Like, uh, uh, role. So, so Dreyfuss got the Spacey role, and if we really want to, um, you know, bring up the speed, uh, apparently. Dreyfus's son claimed that Spacey uh, harassed him. Oh, right, right, so, yeah, yeah. So we, um, I'm gathering there's probably no love loss between the two. Um, and uh, Dreyfus is actually pretty good. The real uh, the real good performances, the great performances in the film are Mercedes Roll and um, Eileen Worth. Or uh, yeah, Irene, Irene Worth, yeah. Irene Worth. And this is actually one of... I, I've always been mixed on Neil Simon. Uh, you know, I know some people who I know some people who love Neil Simon. I'm always some Neil Simon I like, some Neil Simon. I mean, I'm a big Goodbye Girl fan and Odd Couple, but then there's other stuff that's very, very grating. Uh, Lost in Yonkers is kind of a return to form as much as it can be, in that it still has that Neil Simon set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline pattern. But the jokes are are really good here, and so it's it's a little it's better than some of the other ones. I know Jamie. I know Jamie has a hard time with Neil Simon sometimes. So exactly. Yeah, you get one. you get bored with that. You get bored with that. Uh, you know, you can see the jokes coming down Fifth Avenue. It's just uh It's not. It's not the greatest. 
most fun yeah. thing. But yeah. uh, occasionally, occasionally they work. But uh, I don't remember I liking. Do I always want to do the Sunshine Boys play though. I uh, mm. was this close to convincing my local theater company to let me do the Sunshine Boys with old age makeup because I do think <laughs> that, that at least the, at least the play for that is hysterical. Okay, yes. I like the movie. I like the movie pretty pretty well, but uh, I don't remember liking Lost in Yonkers or uh, yeah. I I remember liking Biloxi Blues, but most of those in that uh, in that cycle of eighties uh, eighties uh, nineties era uh, Neil Simon plays, I didn't think worked as uh, as movies. It's Brighton Beach Memoirs, Biloxi Blues, and uh, Broadway Bound. I guess it's the trilogy of his right youth. And lost, uh, lost in Yonkers is not part of that whole thing, huh? No, that's just. It's a, I mean, it's a little autobiographical, but it's about as a kid, as a real, real, as a top, you know, as a preteen, yeah. like a ten-year-old. Okay, all right. Well, I was going to say, why do we think that Mercedes Rule never could break through? Because this was that point when she had won the Best Supporting Actress for Fisher King, and she just never quite made it. Uh, you know, she, I don't know. she really stuck to theater. She's always a theater person, and so when she would do movies, I mean, she'd pop up. I mean, she had another movie this summer, actually, and but then she kind of just stuck to the, or really to the theater, where she's really one of the shining lights. And then, mm-hmm. but then she would pop up in like quality TV movies, like she's in um, the McMartin Trial movie. She's really good in that. So you know, I think she gets stuck to theater. Yeah, she's good. I always liked her. I just I wish she had had more of a big screen presence. But I think- anyway. I think she has kind of a Bruce quality that doesn't doesn't translate very well. It's kind of uh, it's kind of argumentative and uh, and sort mm-hmm. of uh, and sort of mean. I think uh, she, uh, she, I don't think she ever really charms people personally. Not in the, not in the movie. Kind of like, least. Kind of like the Jamie's personality in, in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have to do with Mercedes Rule? <laughs> All right, the next the next movie up is uh, Pussy. I'm sorry, Posse, the, the <laughs> Barrio Bar- of Pupils movie. It would have been better if Pussy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Probably. Yeah, that that was that was the day that Pussy opened wide. It was March. Yes. Or May. <laughs> Wait for I was, it. I was just I was disappointed just because I mean I was a huge New Jack City fan, and this was this time around. Oh, it's going to be a you know black. Western and it's gonna be cool and gonna have like a hip cast and all that, but it's just uh, it's all style. I mean, there's a couple of like campfire scenes that are that are kind of evocative, but it just it needs a better it needs a, a better script. Just a good, you know, all western the best westerns have a very simple but strong narrative, getting you from point point A to point B, and Posse was just like a bunch of Posturing scenes and shootouts, mm-hmm. and it just didn't add up to much. You get the you get the impression too while you're watching it that it's made by people who didn't really like westerns, really. So they didn't really they didn't really mm-hmm. pay attention to the what made the good ones good. So right. yeah, that's a good way to put it. All right, May twenty first, Carnosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a Carnosaur fan of, of there are a lot of because, them. <laughs> of course, uh, the Diane Ladd performance yeah is just so you know berserk. 
Yeah. Uh, that you, I mean, the special effects are of the quality of a Roger Corman movie, which this was. Right. Uh, so, but Diane Ladd's kind of crazy performance is, uh, it is something to behold. So she that's was, the only reason to watch that, this is the heyday of Diane Ladd, if you ask me, like the early the you know, early nineties to mid nineties. You have a uh, Wild at Heart and then Rambling Roads. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So, yeah. Good I mean, stuff. Carnistor, if, and Carnistor. Yeah. I I do love yeah. the uh I remember uh Roger Corman once said uh, that I I think I can't remember what when they stopped at four or five and he said they basically did the calculus and they said this next one that we put out, we're just going to break even. We're not, the, other, the other ones have been profitable. This one, we're just going to break even. And he basically said, okay, well, that's, I guess that's the last one then. Uh, so I just love his uh, bottom line approach to the kind of <laughs> Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, there was no artistic integrity involved <laughs> in that endeavor. Just a dying lad's acting. Yes. The <laughs> casting of Diane okay. Land and the whole thing was... The whole thing was done. All right. All right. Next up, heart, hot, hot, hot shots part two. Uh, there's some big laughs. I mean, the running gag with um, Richard Crenna, uh, that's some funny stuff. All the stuff, the, the Rambo parody is pretty awesome. Um, so there are some gags. I mean, uh, it's not on the quality of Airplane or um, – or Naked Gun, which I want to attribute that because this is not a complete Zucker, Abraham Zucker uh, project. Isn't it, I think isn't it like Neil Israel and and all those guys? No, no, no. It, I think it's, it's, it's like, Abraham. It's half. It's Abraham's. It's not uh, the Zuckers aren't involved. I and think Pat Croft, I, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. And Pat so Croft. I kind of. Yeah. I kind of contribute maybe it's not being as good as Airplane and Naked Gun, that it's not a true ZAZ production. But uh, having said that, there are, like I said, the Rambo stuff is pretty awesome. The Martin Sheen cameo from Apocalypse Now is a classic. Um, so, you know, it's it's dumb, fun, but slight. You know, disposable. Mm-hmm. I actually enjoyed it more than the first one, to tell you the truth. Um, I liked the first one fine. It was okay. But I, I laughed a lot harder and a lot more at Hot Shots Part Due, for whatever mm-hmm. it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this is, and this is you know, this reveals something that we always kind of knew, that as an actor, Charlie Sheen was never really good in dramas. I mean, he's good in Platoon and Lucas, but... He's a very lightweight dramatic actor for the most part, and so when it comes to doing these parody movies, be it this a scary movie where he's not really having to play a character, but just having to play kind of a, a an image. Uh, this is the stuff that he. I mean, he's like he's like a modern Leslie Nielsen. This is what he's good at, or what mm. So it, it makes yeah. sense that he became a sitcom star. Yeah, no surprise there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the next release that day is it funnier than Hot Shots Part Two. Uh, this movie is Sliver. Robert Evans did <laughs> come back. Sliver. Oh. Another film that was edited for, uh, you know, I want should we say quality? Uh, it was edited. Uh, yeah, Sliver. This is, I, I've always 
I've seen Sliver like once or twice in 25 years since it came out. And here, here's my problem with Sliver, uh, among many problems, but this is the one that I never was able to get over. Uh, it's supposedly this, it sets up a love triangle between Sharon Stone, Stephen Baldwin, and Tom Berenger. Okay, I can accept that. that. That's a decent love triangle in an erotic thriller. The problem is Tom Berenger's character is revealed very early on to be impotent. Uh, okay, so that pretty much makes it a two-person triangle. Because uh, this is 93, so this is pre-Viagra. Uh, so there's really no erotic tension well, in the yeah. scenes between Tom Berenger and Sharon Stone when you realize, when you know that, oh, well, this guy's impotent, so like there's nothing going to happen here. So it's just that I've always found that um, just kind of a weird plot point that I'm sure it was a note given by Robert Evans who thought this would be kind of intriguing. Mm. Um, so yeah, Sliver's pretty Sliver's pretty bad. Uh, Philip yeah. Noyce of all, you know, the great Philip Noyce. Uh, the story I heard about Philip Noyce is that he screened it early on for his uh, daughter. Like he would always show his kids his movies, and his daughter looked at him and said, "Daddy, do you have the next movie already booked?" Like yeah, she like good. Um, <laughs> that's my favorite story about Slipper. Great, great. Just want to keep your hips straight. Anyone ever tell you you've got a very nice butt? <gasps> I already know you're a liar. You do. Nobody's told me that in a long time. That's because the wrong people have been looking at it. That's true. Wasn't there some behind-the-scenes drama with that? Uh, Sharon Stone had a... Yeah, uh, they hated each other. She and uh, William Baldwin, I know. Mm. Okay. And and she had an affair with with somebody, I thought, or maybe. They hated each other, and so he took it out on her against against a pillar. Um, and then of yeah. course there was, they 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 changed the ending. The ending was supposed to involve a helicopter ride into a volcano, but that didn't go over well. <laughs> it has this very truncated, abrupt ending. Um, All I remember about it is that it played at the plaza. Uh, I probably sat into it for about ten, ten minutes. I could see it for free, obviously. And uh, I said, this is horrible, I'm leaving. And then I went outside and changed the sign over the movie theater from the word sliver to the word livers. So I put the S at the end. (laughs) That's that's what I thought of the movie. (laughs) The other other interesting footnote uh, should be noted that Sliver actually had a good soundtrack, Massive Attack, and had a number one hit with uh, UB40's cover of uh, oh, Can't Help Falling in Love. Uh, oh, okay, no, Can't yes. Help Falling That was the number one hit? Love with you. Wow. That was number one. Summer yeah, of 93. Quite a few. From weeks. the Slippers Counter. Yep. Yep. So there you go. I guess they got kind okay. of known for covers because of Red Red Wine and so forth. So. Yeah, that was, mm. that's Jamie's favorite. Mm. Uh, mm. Red 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 Red. <laughs> Spice that. Spice that. <laughs> Uh, 
And like I told you the other night, I also hate the song The Lady in Red. So maybe it's just the, the use of red in a song. <laughs> it gets your blood out. How about, how about, how about Stevie Wonder's The Woman in Red? Like, how do you like that song? Uh, yes. That's fine. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's dismissible Stevie Wonder, though. It is. Um, right. Yeah. May 26th. Uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot to say about this. Menace to Society. Yay, that's one of the best movies Yay. of the summer. That was that mm-hmm. was of the year. Of the year. That was either my number two or number three that year on my yeah. list. Uh, it's a movie that has uh, the plot structure of Goodfellas, but kind of the young man's swagger of Mean Streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's just an incredible piece of filmmaking. And uh, strong color. Color, uh, uh, use of color in it and everything. It was uh, fantastic music and so yeah, forth. I mean, it was really, really good movie. It's just, yeah, it's, it's an amazing movie. Uh, it's, it's just, it's like a, it's like a freight train movie. It, uh, for as, you know, as gut wrenching as some of the dramatic scenes are, it's just a an exciting movie to watch. There's this real filmmaking flair in that movie. It's, it's, yeah. It's, Pretty, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. Awesome. Well, is it pretty, safe to say that they never really the the Hughes brothers never really hit that kind of height again, or uh, well, you know, I guess it came, it's kind of came critical, close. Critical or culturally, probably not. I would say that From Hell uh, is as is almost as good. As yeah, that's good movie. From Hell is a, a forgotten movie, and the documentary that. Um, one of them made last year, the Defiant Ones, that four-part documentary, uh, was just one of the best things I saw a year last year about Dr. Dre and Kimmy Iving. They made so, Dead I mean, Presidents, they, too, didn't they? Did they do they Dead Presidents? They did Dead Presidents. Dead Presidents has some, admirers. some moments. Yeah. Yeah, it has some moments in it. And I I do like the trashiness of the Book of Eli. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, but Minister Society is just one of those seminal '90s movies, and a great hip hop soundtrack. Yeah, one of the best, one of the best for sure. Okay. Yep. May May 28th. Uh, the weekend opened up with Cliffhanger, which was a good Stallone action flick. Yeah, I'm, I think I remember a couple of things I remember about Cliffhanger. One, they did that. Uh, Casting against type of Michael Rooker as being the good sidekick buddy. Yeah. Uh, that was a rare instance. And Cliffhanger's a lot of fun. It's a great comeback for Stallone. Uh, but that, uh, the, the thing that everyone talked about was that opening 10 minutes. Open, the opening scene was the best thing in it. Yes, for sure. It just, that, that is an amazing piece of action filmmaking. Yeah, um, it is. And this is back when, you know, you know, this is Rennie Harlan's heyday coming off of Die Hard Two, and then he did this, and then he would do the the long kiss, long kiss goodnight. So you know, this was back when Rennie Harlan was really cooking as a filmmaker. He really, you know, he's kind of he's obviously lost his way, but he really didn't know how to frame practical action scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Who's the Who's the female lead in that? In Jane Turner. Jadine Turner. Northern Exposure. Northern, Northern yep. Exposure. Oh, her. Okay. All right. Mm, wow. Okay. 
and Ralph Lake t- from the Waltons. Wow. Of also of uh, what do you call it the the CSI Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he was, he'd be the uh, the cop in CSI Miami. Always awesome. Okay, and, uh, but was he a villain in in the movie? I, I, it's been so long. Yeah, I, he's I, like the he's like the uh, number two kind of southern good old boy, gun crazy, okay, sugar happy guy. He's kind of played. He's uh, kind of nope. played that that role before in some, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in uh, he's Trouble Man. He's in Trouble Man, uh, the black exploitation movie nope. from the mid seventies. And no, he's, he's a good guy in this movie. He 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 plays the guy who's who's back at at the home base. Who okay, who's yeah. back at the, oh that guy. Okay, oh, I'm thinking yeah. of, what's the Rex Rex something or other. I'm thinking of the other guy, the John Lithgow's number two, who's like this hillbilly, bald, trigger happy, bald headed guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, and, I know who you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, and he about. would be. Yeah, and he would go on to be the cop in CSI Miami for like twenty mm-hmm. years. And, uh, okay, uh, so, all right. And Jean Jean Turner, she's not very she's serviceable. She's no um, Leslie Wagner from uh, you know compared to like like Stallone and Nighthawk's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. There's a long tradition of being Stallone's put upon girlfriend in a yes. movie. Yes. So you can just forget about her in real life. Yeah, in real life too. That's true. Okay, moving uh, okay. on. Uh, a movie called Happily Ever After. It's not the uh, it's not the one it's where an they that film. Drew Barrymore thing. Okay. No, it's, it's, uh, it's okay. an animated film. Next up, uh, Made in America, which is the Ted Danson, Whoopi Goldberg. Now, let me ask you something. Another. <laughs> let me ask you something about this. The whole controversy, because they were dating at the time, Right. The controversy right. of him, him going to the Friars Club roast in blackface, and all the controversy that erupted from that. Yeah. Uh, was that before or concurrent with this release, or way after? I can't remember. It was before. Um, did it happen? But it was before. But it was like maybe a month, or no more than two months before the release of the movie. So it was, it was before that, and so between that and them dating, with all this like all the publicity leading up to the release of the movie. And I think oh. he was married at the time and all that. And all that. Oh, wow. Their marriage uh, only lasted a few few months, right? Something like that. So I'm the product of a one-night stand? No. I was artificially inseminated. Ma, it was a sperm bank. That is undignified. Yes, yes, I bought the sperm. I asked for the best they had. You know, black, smart, not too tall. Hello there, can I help you? Hi, I'm looking for uh, Hal Jackson. Well, look no further. Halbert Jackson? The one and only. You're white. <laughs> Wait a minute, what, what do you mean, white? He's like, like white, white? White, white, white. You mean he's like a like a creamy eggshell kind of tan? Yes! He's so like my he is a white guy. I'll be darned. What do you mean he's white? Rap! 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 It's Hal Jackson! This is Hal Jackson from Jackson Motors. You mean the schmuck on the television with all the animals? And this is Larry. How's your pal? <laughs> uh-huh. My dad. Now 
this is not a mix-up. A mix-up is when you order hamburger and cheeseburger. I'll bet you $100 I can nail the next person to walk through that door. Hey there, I'm Hal Jackson. What I'm talking about is a major mistake in my life. Now, are you looking for something special today? Yeah, I'd like your head on a stick. This is gonna be a tough sale. When you were alone with him, did he say anything about me? That you seemed really smart. He also said he thought you were really beautiful. That's cool. Yeah, I read black authors, you know. Wilt Chamberlain book changed my life. Yo, it's a white man at the door. <laughs> Bye. I'll tell her be home by midnight. You have her back here by midnight. Yeah. Now this is the this is a classic, you know, early nineties idea of a high concept romantic comedy. Um, so just take it for what it is. I think it'll be go down as an artifact as an early, you know, Will Smith film where he's like like number seven on the call sheet. Um uh, he just plays the goofy boyfriend to Whoopi Goldberg's uh, daughter, <laughs> and then but at the end he does a rap. Um, so yeah, uh, it's. I remember the time as a kid. I was fourteen, fifteen, thinking you know after about after about the you know once it gets past the very bad setup, there are some really nice, genuine tender moments and comedy. But I mean, I haven't seen the film in like. 20 years, so I, mean, I have no idea how it plays now. I mean, yeah. and that's the other thing. I remember the big deal was, you know, ooh, interracial romantic comedy. Uh, and I'm sure in 93 that was a little more forward thinking, but now it's, you know, now it's nothing. So mm. it's, it is an artifact. Um, okay. That was directed by Richard Benjamin. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, oh. Last movie to come out that day. Super Mario Brothers. Oh, uh, that's that one of the worst. That's got to be one of the worst movies ever made. Really, seriously, right down there. It's 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 impossible to watch. Impossible. It is, oh. and yet this this movie has a very rabid cult following around it. Well, uh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> Doesn't everything? I mean, uh, the only thing that that that. I remember enjoying whenever I did when I caught it like a year later on HBO. Uh, I did like Dennis Hopper, the King Krupa, uh, as the villain. He has he's, he's obviously having fun. There's a really good article and <laughs> from a few years ago where someone basically did a history of how troubled the shoot was on that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, I mean. Frankly, the, the the stories behind the scenes are more dramatic than the actual movie. Uh, but see, now, that would be a much more interesting movie. I'd rather see that. The making yeah. of Super Mario Brothers. That would make a big, big, pretty penny at the box office. So, I mean, it's no Ready Player One. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. Mm, yeah. And Bob Hoskins could never live it down. I mean, he was very honest about it, that, that he did it for the money, and uh, which is fine. It's your job, and if, you know, if there's a good paycheck involved and you got nothing else going on, then go ahead. But, uh, yeah. but you know, June 4th, 
uh, man, some of these are just completely lame-o weekends. June 4th, <laughs> June 4th saw the release of Sidney Lumet's great Guilty as Sin with Rebecca oh. DeMarnay and Don Johnson. Oh, my God. This is the most miserable summer. Uh, this is this has to be the worst. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually like Guilty as Sin. I think it's a decent courtroom thriller. Uh, what really carries Does it get the job is, done? <laughs> well, 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 yeah, what carries the day for you to say that. is a terrific is a terrific Don Johnson performance. That is a really good Don Johnson performance. Uh, he's really good at this. I mean, when it comes to playing sleazy, vain, superficial, who can jerk, do it better than Don Johnson? That's true. I mean, that's 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 your man right there. Yeah, that's true. So, you won't do anything to me. Lola's got a stack of evidence on you from Boston to Atlanta. I should have an accident. You know, it's a good night for accidents. Mo already had one. So that changes everything. God, you've had just a terrible month, haven't you, Jennifer? First, your boyfriend gets beaten up, put in the hospital. Then a hung jury. And now your best friend goes and dies on you. <laughs> Very depressing. Suicidally so. No one's gonna believe you. I don't know. So far, everyone's believed everything I wanted them to. And there won't be a mark on you. Just a leap from a high place. How about the mark on you? Exhibit A, your skin under my nails. Exhibit B, your hair. My hands. Exhibit G, What was interesting, I know a lot of critics pointed out that Rebecca DeMornay, for some reason, was made in that film to look a lot like Hillary Clinton. That was, a, I that was a big talking point in a lot of reviews. Huh. Um, um, like her hair and everything, wearing pantsuits and everything. Uh, so that was always like a fun thing to to do. Wow. I mean, this is Sidney Lumet. I mean, I think I think one of the reasons this got like decent decent reviews because it was definitely a a definite improvement over the previous summers. Um, uh, the Melanie Griffith. Oh, the Melanie Griffin thing. Among Us. Yeah, that wasn't yeah, good at yeah. all either. Yeah, which was one of his worst movies. Yeah. So this was like at least, you know, this had this had you know a, a three act structure and the actors actually knew what they were doing and they could they looked like they knew how to hit their marks. Uh, so you know, I think he got a little better reception <laughs> on this because of that. <laughs> yeah, because uh, all the scenes of The Stranger Among Us were. Melanie Griffith kept looking for the tape on the floor. Like, stand here? We're right. She's not really looking at the camera. She's looking at like a little off. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. But, yeah. No. <laughs> Jeez, I have absolutely no memory of this movie whatsoever. Okay, moving on. Uh, Life with Mikey, the obligatory well, Michael J. Fox like, like comedy. That's all you, Jamie. That's all you, Jamie. <laughs> that's your movie right there. Why would I know anything about that? I've, I think I've seen it, but it was dismissible like most of those Michael J. Fox summer comedies for me. I like Doc Hollywood a lot. 
you know, crap like Life with Mikey or Greed or For Love or Money or any of all of that stuff. It's not oh, man. very good. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, I remember the, the, not the girl, but the boy, the bratty boy client he has, uh, Crumble, David, a very young David Crumble. I remember he uh, had some funny scenes. Um and, you know, it's kind of one of those premises you'd think would be really good for Michael J. Fox playing a, you know, a burnt-out talent agent for kids. You'd think, oh, there's something Michael J. Fox would probably do. But the, the, I remember just the script kept missing its mark on it, – it, it, it needed to be a little – it needed to be a little more biting, like a little more of a Michael Ritchie movie. Who's um, the director on it? I, I don't even remember. It's not Michael Ricky, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> so I actually do prefer For Love or Money. Um, I think that's a little better of a Michael J. Fox vehicle. But both of them are pretty, pretty forgettable. So. <laughs> I think he, I think he, he has more fun in that because he's playing kind of the, the you know the, the loudmouth, the, the fast talking. Yeah. You know. Hit the uh, thing he usually guy. plays. Yeah. Yeah, he's better. At it. He's having more fun with for lover money. Yeah, June 9th is a romper stomper. Oh, another one of the best movies of the summer. Wow, what a fantastic yeah, that, movie that is. That never came here. I caught that on on a cable like a year or two later, and basically, and you know that, that was, I don't even think Cisco Niebuhr reviewed it. That was one of those films that got that got. Um, Dusted off the shelf when Russell Crowe started to hit. We're like, well, he, you know, he was in this other movie, and so people started passing that movie around. So, so they, it took yeah. a while. Yeah. But uh, I remember it playing at theaters in, in Atlanta, uh, and uh, I, I remember checking it out and being totally stunned by it. And uh, I haven't mm-hmm. gone back and revisited it in quite a long time, but uh, I have a feeling I would still like it. Back when Russell Crowe was hungry, playing a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He made a good Nazi. He's, he's still hungry. Just just look at the weight he's put on. <laughs> <laughs> he can still play a good Nazi, too, I'm sure. Yep. <laughs> He'll just be playing a fat one. <laughs> um, okay, next up that weekend was a film with two of the year's best performances in it. Um, and that's what's love got to do with it. Angela Bassett oh, and Larry yeah. Fishburne. Jeez. Now, this was a total shocker. I remember yes. everyone saw this because uh, when people came out of this, they were like, wow, that's amazing. But also, like, wow, they released, they released that in the summer. Because I was totally, you know, the trailers made it look like this rockin' biopic. And then when you go into it, it is a rockin' biopic, but it's also like, you know, Star 80 meets a star is born. Uh, <laughs> You know, of course, what were people expecting? You know, with the uh, with you know the Ike and Tina Turner story. I mean, we know, we all knew that 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 Tina Turner had uh, you know suffered under the hands of uh, Ike uh, uh, many times uh, over many years, and uh, so uh, I don't I don't know. Maybe they were ex- expecting it to be the nice version, but uh, uh, but I'm glad they stuck to their guns and and uh, and did it the way they did it, and uh, and uh, I do think 
It's uh, it's they're two great lead performances. Uh, um, amazingly, both of them got nominated for lead acting performances. Not less so for for Bassett. That was expected, but. I remember Larry Fishburne being nominated for Best Actor was a real surprise because I thought, I remember thinking, you know, it is the lead in the movie, but but it's uh, it's um, I don't know, he doesn't have a lot of screen time in it. I guess uh, is my problem, my my what? the source of my surprise. Well, for the the two big things out of that movie, one uh, he became Lawrence, mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne mm-hmm. in that movie, and yep. Larry. Uh, and once again, Tina Turner had an album out that, uh, well, she, they put out a greatest hits with a new, couple of new singles on it, and she had a top ten hit that summer, um, uh, from that greatest hits package. Mm. So she was back well, then, in the charts because of that movie. I don't want to fight or something like that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to fight. The close, closing credits song of the movie, and that, and the closing credits is, is was a big point of contention for Roger Ebert. Who, who like me, love love the two lead performances, and they are great, and they're great together too. Even mm-hmm. though they're very adversarial, uh, oh, they yeah. worked really well off of each other, especially in the, the diner scene. Mm-hmm. She starts to fight back a little, bit, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he, his point of contention about the movie, and I agree with him, was Angela Bassett worked her ass off to sell you on the illusion that she was Tina Turner for the two-hour stretch of the movie. And then you end the movie by showing the real Tina Turner in concert, uh, effectively breaking the illusion and disrespecting her performance. That was his argument, yeah. and I, I, you know, there's part of me that, that and I believe in that I kind of agree with that. And- I do agree with that, and it's only a practice that has accelerated. In the yes, last I was going to say week. it's it, it's almost every every biopic now. Yeah. almost every single one ends with real footage of the real person. I guess because there's a sensation that uh, that people want to see 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 who they were playing or whatever. You know who the leads were playing. You know. But uh, I don't know. I don't think it's Peter, a good idea. Peter Berg is kind of the worst offender of mm-hmm. this because not only will he show him, but he'll. I mean, he literally has like an extra twenty 10 minutes. minutes of him. Yeah. Of a movie of like you know where we get oh okay and like oh not only oh here they're gonna the the real person and Mark Wahlberg are gonna meet and hug and then <laughs> they just get all that you know. It's so, uh, yeah. it's weird. It's a weird practice, and I don't like it. Save it for save it for the DVD. There you go. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Son, we're going to sit there. We're supposed to be celebrating. Now, come on, man. Yeah, all right. We're supposed to be celebrating, I guess. All right, continue to turn the review. We're going to go on tour with the Rolling Stones, huh? There you go. Yeah, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. Uh, hey, can we get some of that cake? Matter of fact, bring that whole cake over here. Cake. Cake. Yeah, let's have some cake. Come on, please. Come on, bring us some cake. Let's give it a seat. Come on, let's see. Yeah. Oh, that look good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on, Emma. All I want to take. Come on, just look here. Come on, I. What's the matter, bedroom? You high? You embarrassed? Oh, come on now. Open your mouth. Your white man answered, open your mouth. She sang all goddamn day long. I asked, you ain't gonna say nothing. Come on now, I'm asking you nice stuff. And I'm saying no nice. You know, come, come on. Come on, cake. Come on, piece of cake. Piece of cake. Yeah. Oh, so you done lost some of the fucking money. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. I. Come on, bitch, get up. Come on, get up. Fuck you, wife. Come on, not one. Come on, get up. 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 Get up
get out of here too. You have me. Get you the fuck out of here. Kiss my ass. You a dead woman if you stay here. And don't let me catch around my house either. Well, sit down, eat some cake, anyway. Fuck y'all looking at me. I'll just mind your own goddamn business. Ain't somebody come in here and clean this shit up, please? Goddamn, Frost, this cake's good. Anime, come on. This cake real good. Anime, just take the cake, please. And I think this is a good example, too, of the kind of things that Disney used to release but but have no interest in anymore. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. small personal films. The mid-range movie, is, yeah. Right, the mid-range movie, yeah. It's good, good. The, well, the R-rated, the R-rated adult mid-range. Yeah, movie. that's even go. a rarer bird. That's true. Uh, well, it's a good movie. Times, times right, well, we're getting, just, Let's put we're it getting, that way. Staying on the theme of the smaller movies, uh, June 11th uh, saw the release of Jurassic Park. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I went opening weekend, sold out. I'm sure that we all did. Uh, mm-hmm. A great ride. I, I'm a big Jurassic Park fan. I'm a big fan of this Jurassic Park, and I actually do like Lost World quite a bit, and then I kind of give up. Um, what I find interesting about Jurassic Park, though, with the way I've always viewed Jurassic Park, um, I've always viewed it as Spielberg's uh, farewell to his uh, kind of roller coaster filmmaking style. Um, and basically, he—I always looked at it as, you know, what I'm gonna—I'm gonna give you one last summer thrill ride um, for your money. Uh, and so it's very effective. It's not as transporting as Jaws or Close Encounters or E.T., but it is a thrill ride. And he goes, I'm going to give it to you one last time, but then i got to move on because literally, you know, six months later we get Schindler's List. And from this point on, whenever he does do the summer thrill ride, be it Minority Report, War of the Worlds, they're now tinged with – Darkness and um, and caution and ambivalence, and then mm-hmm. just true escapism. I mean, even something like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which people, you know, you know, is returning in Jones, That one has a very kind of a melancholy tone to it in some scenes because Indy's getting old, his father's died, so there's a little bit of mortality uh, in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uh, and Legacy. So. So I always look at Jurassic Park as his farewell to his thrill ride filmmaking, uh, his innocence, if you will. Uh, so it's a it's more machine like than any of his other movies, uh, but it's I, good. Yeah, I think that's the reason I don't care for it is because it's just uh, it's like a machine. It's uh, it's just chugging right right away, and it it doesn't really care about emotions or anything like that. It's just chopping away and I don't know I just don't care about it and um uh it has a couple of good scenes in it uh but uh I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of the of the whole whole franchise frankly well if it, if it, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the new technology that it ushered in uh it would be very uh, half-heartedly received I think or remembered I think it, I think the movie it wasn't originally conceived to be this way because they were going to go traditional with it until ILM showed them what they were working on, and Spielberg said, well, yeah, let's go with that, new, new digital kind of CGI technology. 
But I think if if it weren't, it feels like a vessel in which to express the latest technology that's available now. Yes. Which there's elements of that in a lot of movies, including some that even Kubrick did. But, um, but, but there was a lot more in Kubrick's movies, obviously. And this, this was a kid at play, and I think by the time they got into post-production, the Lost World notwithstanding, I think Spielberg felt like he outgrew it. Because mm. he even talked about being on the set of Schindler's List and working so hard every day and then going to the hotel at night and having to approve visual effects shots for Jurassic Park and until it, it, got him, it made him pissed off. Mm. He was like, look, you, do you know what I'm in the middle of right now, what I'm trying to do, and you're wanting me to look at these dinosaur things, and it, it, the dichotomy of that just felt wrong for him. So I, I do think it's a lot less of a personal movie for him, ultimately. Uh, and I never thought it was one of his best. Uh, that being said, I recognize it as a landmark movie for the technology. And it is, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And there yeah. are some, I mean, uh, Jeff Goldblum is a classic Spielberg oddball character, and he's a lot of fun. Uh, to the point, I mean, obviously they brought him back in Lost World because they really, oh, that's the best character. Um, and that, the couple of those sequences, the stuff with the the kids in the lab and the the kids in the car yeah. uh, turning off the lights. I mean, that is just vintage Spielberg at his best. So I mean, uh, there's just really good stuff in there. I remember this. Is it the scene in the kitchen too that they're being uh, chased yeah, by yeah, the, the? Yeah, that's good. That's 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 a really good scene. I mean, where the I mean, basically the dinosaur has figured out how to open a door. Yeah, and it makes no sense. But it's just kind of an awesome <laughs> image. Yes. Yeah. There's a scene towards the end where the T Rex is uh chomping down on another dinosaur. Yeah. And the banner's falling down that said dinosaurs ruled the world. That's very memorable. And what what when I bought the um laser disc, I knew that there's an Easter egg in the movie. So I would freeze frame it, frame by frame, and there's one frame where the dinosaur disappears from the T-Rex's mouth. And they put that in intentionally, for some reason. Hmm. Hmm. Try that at home, Adam. Get out that blue right now. You got the the 4K. (laughs) And I always like the, uh, and I think my favorite gag, and I think to me it's Spielberg's best bit of commentary on, you know, on what he was doing, is that whole, that shot of the gift shop where we see all the Jurassic Park gift toys. Oh, yeah. Toys. Yeah. And basically, you could, you know, when the movie was over, you could go out and buy everything that was in the gift shop. And I guess that was like, the, to me, that's the perfect image from Jurassic Park. It's the, the toys are actually in the movie that you can go buy when the movie's over. I was very, I remember going in, like, this is what a square I was, and still am. Uh, I was going in thinking, oh, this will be a really good role for Richard Attenborough. He's, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen him as an actor in movies. You know, he'd been directing for many years, of course, and uh, so I was uh, excited about that. And then I was like, ah, it wasn't much of a role when I got out of it. It's just, he was just the old, old man. It could have been any old man. Yeah. But it was him. So he he got the yeah. adoration of a bunch of twelve year olds. Oh, I'm sure he had twelve year those, those twelve year olds went out and rented Gandhi and they're like, What the fuck is this? <laughs> but better, I mean, it was better him than Burl Ives. I mean Burl Ives couldn't have done any better. 
was Burl Ives considered for the role? Or uh, no, he was no. dead by that time. <laughs> he was dead by that time. No. Okay. Yeah, he died. He was, the he was busy year, doing the Lipton tea commercials. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, Wilford Brimley uh, could have done it. Big, da- big Daddy, Big Daddy with a big glass of lipstick tea. Yeah. Uh, all right, Adam, you should be the first one to talk about this one. I, I don't know why. Uh, June eighteenth. Very uh, pretty, pretty. Well, I mean, the, uh, Last Action Hero had the bad fortune of being uh, coming out a week after Jurassic Park, and you could. I remember being in theater management at the time, and you could feel the desperation, like, "Oh shit, we're opening up our." This really expensive movie a week after Jurassic Park. We're going we're to get swallowed. We have so much money on the line. So I remember the marketing team was like, "You got to get it, get this out, promote it, promote it." But, uh, but poor thing, it didn't work out. Um, so that was the summer's uh, bomb uh, for all intents and purposes. Um, and I rewatched it just a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's still not great. I mean, it, it's. There's an element to it that's kind of clever, uh, but it doesn't uh, completely come off. And even though Schwarzenegger is game for it, um, it does. It does. It doesn't. It's, it feels you're you're very aware as you're watching it that it's a misfire, that it's not really coming together. Adam, what do you think? Uh, I totally agree. Yeah, it's. I I don't think it's. The worst thing I've seen, I mean, I went into it, the buzz was really bad on it, but I had to see it. It was one of those things I just, everybody was was uh, kind of bad-mouthing it before it even got there. I said, I have to see this. But, yeah, my opinion on it was it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I, I There were parts of it that were, you know, tolerable, uh, shall we say, and uh and the rest, I mean, you know, some of it was bad. Uh, some of those quotes, I mean, <laughs> what what can you, some of those dialogue exchanges. So, I big, don't know. Big, big mistake. Was the, uh, they're trying to make it up a cat phrase. Yeah. Big mistake. Uh, but yeah, from what I understand, like, the original Shane Black script was pretty, was, like, really good. And then it just got tweaked and tweaked as they went along. And... Mm. I just like the hubris of it. They're like, well, what can go up against Spielberg's dinosaurs? Well, the only thing that can give it a run for its money is a Schwarzenegger action movie. And actually, that's not the case. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just kind of a, you know, and as I say, the problem with the film, the real problem with the film, is that the movie within the movie is not good. If they had really worked on the movie within the movie and made that halfway interesting, then there might have been something at stake here. Um, but Charles Dance is lightweight as a villain. Mm, um, yeah. And so it's just, but the kid is actually really good. The kid's really good, and he's pretty smart and clever. Uh, so, you know, that's, you know, so that's kind of fun. But, and it does have this great premise. I mean, this premise does, could work. I mean, it works in Purple Rose of Cairo of like being in the movie or the movie coming to life and entering your life. So it's the premise is solid. It's just execution. Mm. I've still never seen it. Still never seen it. The best self-reverential stuff stuff. or Schwarzenegger can't pronounce his own last name or he's a big fan of Stallone that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's so fun. And then the stuff with like the police captain always yelling 
Um, you know, those are some the, the stuff that's going off in the sides that is like, okay, they they got something here, like they got something here. It's just what's going off in the center of the screen is not working. Quick, where are the Schwarzenegger films? Foreign films are in the back. No action. This guy's an action star. Down the center, on the left. Uh, also on that day, Once Upon a Forest, which I imagine is another animated mm-hmm. uh, that we yeah. haven't seen. Like a Fern Gully ripoff. Is yeah. Scott Pruitt's favorite well. film? Uh, John, June 25th is uh, Dennis the Menace. Uh, uh, oh my yeah. God. Who plays um, Dennis the Menace in this? And it's uh, Walter Matthau as uh, yeah. Mr. Wilson, Mr. right? Mr. Wilson. Mr. Yeah. Wilson. John Parright as Mrs. Wilson. Mason Gambon. Is Dennis, who oh, he's, he's actually a good actor because he's really good in Rushmore uh, five years later. Yeah, um, the stuff. This is this is a film that breaks in breaks down in two parts. All the stuff with Dennis and Mr. Wilson, all that stuff is funny and charming and really nice and evocative of and really reminds you of the TV show. And it looks really good. Nick Castle, the director, is the director. So it has a very bright color scheme. Yeah. But the subplot involving Christopher Lloyd as a homeless man, uh, wanting to, I forget what he's trying to steal. All that, if you get rid of that, then you have a good little family comedy. Christopher Lloyd kind of. They just couldn't. Put, they just couldn't allow themselves to make it on the scale of the TV show. They had to make it big and chaotic. I, so they had I to put the, I am what you, curious. I am you know, curious. We'll never know because John Hughes wrote the script, and I'm wondering if his first draft was a straight Dennis the Menace kind of film, and the producers or executives said, "Yeah, that's good, but you know, we need that Home Alone." That's what I was going to say. Yeah. And so can you throw in uh, a thief? And so he just threw in the thief. I, I wonder if that was an add-on that he didn't initially want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if he was forced to add on the... Because it feels shoehorned in. Yeah. It feel organic. Yeah. There's one scene in that movie that did make me laugh out loud. I saw it in the theater, because uh, strictly for Math Owl, because I'm a big Math Owl fan. And there was one scene where Dennis knocks out his uh, his two front teeth and his dentures, and he replaces yeah. them with the, uh, the two large white chiclets from a pack <laughs> of chewing gum, and that yeah. made me laugh. I don't. I, it just did. When when Math Al puts those dentures in and those two <laughs> those two obviously uh, you know those pieces of chewing gum right there in the front of his dentures. I don't know. It just I, it did something to make it just tickle my funny That's bone. That's the stuff. <laughs> That's the stuff that works, but all the stuff yeah. Christopher Lloyd and Christopher Lloyd, he he hijacks the last third of that movie, mm. and you just kind of sit there, yes, kind of deflate it. So. Yeah, I agree. It's cool. it's it's very rote as it reaches the conclusion. Mm. <laughs> all right, okay, next moving up. on. Next up is Nora Ephron, Sleepless in Seattle, a huge, huge hit. Huge. Yeah, I, I'm actually I I don't hate this movie. I'm actually a fan. I think it's very charming. Um, I mean, it's obviously barring the sub barring the plot from Love Affair and Affair to Remember, but in a comic way. Um, Tom Hanks. This is the same at his kind of 
mass appeal best. Um, obviously, and uh, what was fun, what was funny for the film buffs, obviously for mass audiences, this was, you know, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, they're like, oh, great pairing. But for the film buffs, they're like, oh, this is their second pairing because the film buffs obviously remember Joe versus Volcano from three years earlier, mm-hmm. which no one saw. Which, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Joe versus Volcano is actually a better film. Better movie. <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. But Sleeping in Seattle on its own is charming. Uh, his All the scenes with Tom Hanks and, his, and the, the kid who plays his son, those are a lot of fun. Rob Reiner has a great cameo bit, so does Rosie O'Donnell. Um, so, yeah, um, I mean, yes, it was, it was probably a little over, you know, over enthused by its fans, but, you know, it's, it's a fun, charming movie. Uh, Of the two that they did in this, between this and You've Got Mail, I like this one more than You've Got Mail. Uh, Yeah, neither one of them are for me. I find them incredibly boring, incredibly grating, can't watch them. But they're my they're they're two both of them are two of my mother's favorite movies. So there you go. Mm. I just find them. You just I stick, find them. You just stick Nat King Cole on the soundtrack, and that's all you need. I think that's another <laughs> problem I have. I, I have with a movie like this is it is at times it does feel like one long music montage. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, I think they rely on that a little too much. But Tom Hanks is really good in it. I think. Um, yeah, he is. And the Meg Ryan, the whole Meg Ryan subplot is a lot less effective for me, uh, especially mm-hmm. since at, problem, that, at that time, I, I, that time I really didn't like Bill Pullman. I don't know what it was about Pullman. They were, I, I like him now. They were, they were smart to make Bill Pullman a likable guy, not make him a jerk. So that's yeah, the right. smart. That's the smart move. The, yeah. the wrong move is that Bill Pullman is a dull guy. Right. So if they made him a likable, charming guy, as opposed to a likable, dull guy, then there might be something a little more tension involved. I agree. Uh, so that you know, it's uh, you know, Greg Kinnear. You know, obviously he wasn't Greg Kinnear in Night Three, but if, imagine Greg Kinnear in the Bill Pullman role. There's a little more tension in there. Yeah. Because Greg Kinnear is can be likable and charming. But you know, Tom Hanks is was Greg Kinnear in the Bill Pullman role, and you've got mail. Is it? Him? It might be. I think that might be him. I, I don't remember is, if he's in that role. Is he in you've got mail? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, he's in you've got mail. Okay. Mm. But plus, you've got mail. Also, I'm I'm not uh, uh, endorsing uh, either one. I think I'd like <laughs> Sleepless a little bit better too, because it's just a little bit of a warmer feel. But uh, you've got mail. Also has the uh, the small bookstore being overtaken by the huge yes. conglomerate uh, element right. to it that uh, gives it the appearance of a little meat on its bones. <laughs> That's yeah. true. It's true. It, it, it does. But the thing also about Sleepless in Seattle is it's saddled with just the whole uh, uh, the whole challenge of like having people. Uh, sitting at computers and trying to make that into something cinematic. Well, that's it's just, got mail. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh uh, you know, it's very, uh, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, this thing, <laughs> this, or or, this or really, Mike Nichols closer. I don't know which one you want to go with. This and Sleepless in Seattle. I mean, it it, it had kicked off the summer earlier in League of Their Own, but Sleepless in Seattle is when really Tom Hanks's kind of 
unprecedented run of America's favorite actor kind of mm-hmm. really goes in sure. overdrive from this from this movie on, and le- basically mm-hmm. lasts for at least all the way to the end of the decade. Mm-hmm. Mm. Next up, June thirtieth uh, is uh, well, that's interesting. June thirtieth, <laughs> you have the firm. Um, Tom Cruise, Sidney Pollack, John Grisham, which I have watched a couple of times because it's a mainstay on cable, and I, I'll turn it on and watch it. Um, it's an unusual thriller in in some sense because uh, mainly because of the music. It's the score. It's, I was going to say <laughs> that that's the reason it's it's given. The firm. Or as I like to call it, the Michael Cohen story. Um, I like to refer to it. Um, <laughs> Michael Cohen story. Uh, the thing about the firm. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter how many times you say it. Yeah, <laughs> It'll firm, still die. <laughs> the thing about the firm. Uh, you know, I mean, that's a second phenomenon. The second phenomenon. Everyone's gonna go see that. Uh, and it's it's it truly once again. This is it's kind of interesting how back then we just thought it was just this great thriller, and now you kind of you if you look at it a little hindsight, like really he he's shocked that he's working for a mob law firm. I mean, the mob needs lawyers too. So I mean, why is it such a big deal that you know they got to reel you in to be a mob lawyer? Like, oh yeah, the, mafia, the yeah. mafia has a lot of lawyers. I appreciate your coming, Mr. McDear. I'll call you Mitch if I may. My name is Voiles, Denton Voiles. I'm with the Department of Justice. What happened to Eddie Lomax? We've been investigating Bendini, Lambert, and Locke for four years. No lawyer has ever left your law firm alive. Two tried to leave, they were killed. Two were about to try, you know what happened. We have reason to believe that your house is bugged. Your phones are tapped. Your office is wired. They may follow you. They may be here in Washington as we speak. Are you saying my life is I'm saying that your life as you know it is over. Your law firm is the sole legal representative of the Moraldo crime family in Chicago, known as the Mafia, the mob. I don't believe it. They set up legitimate businesses with dirty money from drugs, gambling, prostitution, all cash, all moved offshore. You believe it. That's why you talked to Thomas A. Banks and the Caymans. That's why you got this private investigator asking questions that got him killed. Maybe 30% of their clients are legitimate. They bring in a new rookie, throw money at him, buy the car, the house. After a couple of years and your kids are in private schools, they're used to the good life, they tell you the truth. I know a lot of lawyers kind of laugh at, you know, because Sidney Pollack King's the last act of the book is that how it became this thing about billing, you know, <laughs> billing, you know. Oh, yeah. That, and I know a lot of lawyers were kind of laughing at that. They're like, yeah, lawyers overbill their clients in those types of law firms all the time. That's not right. that's nothing, nothing new. But, you know, um, 
It is interesting. I mean, this this and Tootsie are Sidney Pollock's two biggest hits, and they're the two films in Sidney Pollock. And I'm a big Sidney Pollock fan, but these are the two films that have like actually have feel good endings, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something about Sidney Pollock. Uh, what, the, what what makes The Firm such a watchable movie, like 25 years later, and it is a cable mainstay, is Sidney Pollock has had like one of the best ensemble casts that year. It's the I cast. Mean, it, went, yeah. it went deep. I mean, Tom Cruise, Gene Hackman, Wilfred Brimley, Hal Holbrook, uh, David Strathern, Ed Harris, uh, Holly Hunter. Gary Busey has two great scenes. Uh, yeah. So, and then Jean Triplehorn, it's her follow-up to to uh, Basic Instinct. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just the cast is what keeps you chugging along on that movie. Uh, I think the score was nominated for an Oscar, and also Holly Hunter was nominated uh, for supporting yeah. actress the same year she was nominated for uh, she won I, for the piano. So. I don't. I'm in the mind. I guess I'm in the minority. I think the score is perfectly suitable to its locale. I mean, this is set in Memphis, and so if you ever been to Memphis, the score has kind of this very, um, you know, kind of this piano blues piano, uh, you know, yeah, kind of a rat yeah. rat time I mean, kind of vibe. Yeah, to it. I, I I like the score. But I mean, yeah, you no, would have to have never, never seen another movie to think that that's your stereotypical score for that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Because that that, that right. was an outside the box score for that movie. Mm-hmm. For the yeah. it was unusual. Yeah, for sure. And this was, and this was, I mean, this was another thing about this summer movie. This was an R-rated two and a half hour, yeah, lawyer drama. And Are we ever like going to see one of those again? Like a. Uh, courtroom drama summer movie, like you think we'll ever see one again? <laughs> I don't think we will. No. Well, I think we finally woke up and realized, you know, these John Grisham books really aren't that great. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we we got out of that uh, phase, and I think we can agree that this is the better of the two Grisham films from '93. Because remember, uh, Christmas we get Pelican Brief. <laughs> The only Grisham movie that I like is The Rainmaker. That's uh, uh, honestly the only one I like. Is uh, uh, and I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the cast in that. Maybe it's the direction. I don't know. Well, but that's that's the only one that still works. Another great ensemble. Well, and I also like Gingerbread Man. I know John Grisham uh, hates that, I can't, I but can't I like stand I like movie. Gingerbread Man. Yeah, I can't watch. I can't watch it. 